0: Oh, no, Dave. Dang it, there goes my 20 bucks. <laughs> <box.
1: laughs> does it actually count as a, as a connect or as a disconnect if he never connected in the first place?
0: Right. We got the little boxes with his video, but
2: uh, are we got We had spinny
3: yeah.
2: boxes. His computer just does not like Discord.
4: No, it doesn't. Doesn't have really
0: nearly about. that many problems with it. With Google Chat or Vi- or uh, Zoom, Mm-mm. Google Meet or Zoom.
2: Especially since they unified the Discord code base a month or two ago, it has been particularly bad.
4: I haven't noticed any, I, I mean, I haven't really had much issues.
2: It started crashing on me about once a day since they did that. Ooh. Mm. Well,
0: just hey, so everybody we, can we see behind the scenes, I'll I'll switch our YouTube live stream over to to what we're doing now. <laughs> everybody can watch us struggle, uh, or well, watch Dave struggle getting in here. Yeah, there's no
4: there's no we. There's no us <laughs> struggle, just Dave struggle.
1: Dave, you there?
3: Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Good. We Are can, you we can hear
1: you. No video Ooh. necessary.
5: <laughs> Great. Unbelievable
4: you're good, bud um even <laughs> a
0: solid you. effort.
1: text
4: just calling you struggle, bus.
3: yeah
4: <laughs> I guess it's just uh stuff that comes with age. oh jeez, you'll get there too someday if you're lucky, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah oh that's funny is he running base flight there you go okay so (laughs) let me get my screen shared here hopefully i don't have the same issue let's see better text readability because it's kind of important for this so greetings everybody um welcome to uh our fpvfc town hall uh we've got uh dave on uh audio and we've got dan alex and blunty with us so Biggest important thing I think that we uh, need to cover is that we are one of three FAA-recognized CBOs. Um, Both our application and the FTCA application have gone through. Um, So that puts us uh, in favorable company with uh, the AMA, who were the first to uh, get approved. So... This wasn't an easy process as Dan and Dave and uh, everybody can attest. Well, um, technically it's
0: been like a three plus year process. Cause this was like has, part of yeah. one of
4: our original goals, why we exist mm-hmm. is to become a CBO. Yeah.
0: So now we can so, finally just get started, right?
4: 100%. And these guys put in a lot of effort over the last couple of weeks to, uh, get this, uh, moving and, uh, they've done a great job. And, uh, I'm sure uh I I do believe there's there's going to be some uh interesting conversations happening around the process. Um but uh it it wasn't the easiest thing. Uh and we'll kind of leave it at that unless uh Dan or Dave you guys want to kind of uh detail some of that a little bit.
5: Yeah, uh
3: can you guys hear me? Oh, pretty loud. Okay. Wow, there's a, I'll a, turn you down for uh, me a little bit. There. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, the uh, the most interesting aspect of it is it was a a multiple pass or multiple iteration where you applied uh, and then had to make some changes and uh, the concerns that we've mentioned uh, in the past couple of weeks which were that the FAA is using the advisory circular ninety one fifty seven C as a way to work around their own rule making process. It appears to be absolutely the case. We're happy that uh, uh, we have uh, fewer uh, safety guidelines than uh, the two the two other uh, CBOs um, and uh, less restrictive. Uh, but that's uh, it's a strange a strange process.
4: So uh the big thing is is that uh you know not to kind of reiterate is that we do have fewer uh safety guidelines, and that's not to say that we're not concerned about safety. What it is to say is that we are excited to have uh safety guidelines that are required by um the FAA reauthorization that you fly under. Um Hi Dave. Let's get you turned. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that uh um you, that people are required to fly under so if you are flying recreationally you are required to fly under the safety guidelines of an faa recognized cbo and by having less restrictions allows you the flyer greater freedoms so um and that's always been our goal um and we will continue to push that um to create a easier access to the hobby so that's been the, the biggest push that we've, we've stated from the beginning, um, and we continue to pursue that. And this has been a major goal, like Dan was saying, for the last three years to get us to this point.
0: So I would like to add to XJet's comment in here where he's mentioning, oh, so as a turbine flyer, I can operate under the FPVFC safety programming? It's very interesting because our safety guidelines don't state all of our guidelines fall under only if you're flying FPV. There are some rules that, or guidelines that state, if you're flying FPV, you should do this. But there's lots of other very general things. So mm-hmm. there's nothing in there that I can think of that says, you know, you're you're flying a model, a uh, park flyer, uh, line of sight, and you couldn't follow our guidelines. Like I don't. So what you're not.
4: saying is we should have just made guidelines for some RC
0: aircraft that doesn't exist and then you can do whatever we want. (laughs) I'm just saying it's going to be really hard for somebody to interpret all these CBO guidelines and what everything actually means and how the laws or how the regulations are fully applied. It's going to be ridiculous.
4: I mean, one of the biggest things that we've always focused on is FPV, right? But how you choose to fly FPV makes no difference to us. If you do that with a quad, if you do that with a, uh an airplane if you do that with a helicopter whatever you do it with a blimp I don't care that's just been our biggest push and um uh, because FPV has for a long time been scorned by other organizations and um that's you know when we first created this it was a a, a gap uh, that we felt we needed to fill so um yeah it's uh that's kind of where we're at.
0: And responding to TextJet, um, we have our guidelines published on our website. The FAA doesn't have a link directly to anybody's guidelines. They have links to each CBO. Um, well, if, website. I, if I look at uh, your screen there. Oh, and it just crashed. Well, oh, that, you, you started a new tab. Go. Okay. Um, yeah. So they have links to FPB Freedom Coalition, Flight Test, and the AMA. Mm Mhm.
4: My internet is, uh, fun. (laughs) So. Mm.
0: And we should reiterate again, you don't have to be a member of any of these CBOs. You just have to you know, know which set of guidelines you're flying under. So if anybody asks you, you can say, oh yes, I've been, I'm flying under the
4: CBO's guidelines. Yeah. So no membership required. We give this stuff out for free. Um, And, uh, that's also been one of our goals is to not pay well, uh, this kind of stuff. I mean, to, to easily be able to, to access this kind of information. So, um, yeah, it's super exciting for us. Um, this is again, the culmination of many years of work and, uh, effort and, uh, all that. So X, just
0: uh, asking if you can pick and choose between various guidelines, um, well, you can't choose rules and mix them into one guideline but you can probably choose per flight which cbo's Mm -hmm. guidelines you are following while you're flying
4: yeah so you have to choose one uh, when you start your flight and that's what you need to be operating under and be able to essentially speak to that i would assume Um, it's a lot
0: like if you're a part 107 pilot you're you're saying at the beginning of this flight, this is a recreational flight, or this is a part 107 flight. The intent of that flight is to
4: to follow the CBO's guidelines. Yeah. So definitely correct on that. So yeah. Questions, comments, concerns.
5: With multiple, um, I'm sorry, with multiple guidelines for different, different, uh, different CBOs, right. Mm hmm. Uh, could that not cause issue with uh, if you were to get in trouble with with somebody, say, and could they hold you accountable to another CBO even though if if it's not the one that you're using?
4: No. So what you will essentially, let's say, you know, a law enforcement officer comes up to you and they're asking you if if they're knowledgeable enough to ask you what CBOs guidelines you're using for your flight. That's what they're going to basically uh, essentially hold you accountable to. So if whether you're using ours or FTCA's or AMA's, um, you need to be able to, again, that's why I say you kind of need to be able to speak to it. So a couple things. Uh, One, have the link handy so that you can reference it. Um, Two, I mean, if you want to go old school, you can print them out. Um, but I mean, the easiest thing is to just keep a digital copy or digital access to those rules. So, plus, uh go ahead, Dave.
3: Plus the, um, the, what is it? Nine, uh, requirements to fly under 44, eight Oh nine, the recreational exception to Part 107. Those are absolutely and explicitly the same across all of the CBOs Ooh. and the requirements for 44809 are statute. So if someone says, Well, you know, what's the law? That's, you know, those are the regulations as stipulated by Congress. So legally, you must follow those common sets of requirements that are stipulated by 44809. It gets a little gray as soon as, because one of the first stipulations is you must, not should, must follow. The safety guidelines of a CBO, and then the CBO has a series of recommendations, safety recommendations uh, that are reflected in the advisory circular that we cited, ninety-one fifty-seven C. So, you know, again, I don't think there will be confusion because if you you'll be on solid ground. If regardless of the CBO that you uh, follow you know who's the the safety guidelines if you follow 44809 you'll be on solid ground.
5: Yeah. So I it's think possible. uh I think the the way, the phrasing of my, of my question would, may have been a little bit off. I'm I just see an issue with some CBOs being more restrictive than others. Mm-hmm. And uh I, mean, I we feel agree
1: like it doesn't make much sense but like unfortunately like that's how it's written. So, like, basically, you know, if you pick the least restrictive CBO, then the rules for you will be less restrictive than people who re- pick a more restrictive CBO. That is, and, and there is no, there's no, um, you know, there's no concept as far as we know in the law for them to, like, somehow make up that you're using a different CBO. You know, it's up to you to declare the CBO for your flight. And those right. rules will be applied based on your declaration, not someone else's declaration.
4: The same way you would declare a flight re- recreational or commercial is the same with this. I mean, if you're flying with the intent of flying commercially, then you're flying under Part 107. If you're flying with the intent of having fun, then you're flying recreationally. Same same applies here. If you're flying under the intent of using FPVFC regulations, then that's, that's it. And yeah, that's a good way to it. And they can't hold you to a different standard. So...
1: I mean essentially that's that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, for the same for the same reason you can't get in trouble for yeah, a 107 flight that's wrong or a recreational flight that's wrong cuz you're doing the other one. They can't just like make up what what you're flying. You you declare that. Does that make better sense?
5: Yeah, I I think I, I get it. I'm Yeah, I understand.
1: Okay. okay. I mean, it's cool.
5: I, I I just I, want to point out
1: yeah. real quick that uh it's not logical, I'm not, like like nobody is saying this is like yeah makes any logical
5: sense. I think that's why I'm stuck at. And I'm thinking that yeah. you know later on they're going to concrete one, and or uh, concrete one that's more that has more regulations in it, and start getting rid of the other ones. And that's what I'm kind of nervous about.
1: So I, mean, I would say the benefit is currently like there's no real like a process for that to happen. I mean, they could attempt to do something like that, but we are accepted as a CBO. So under the current rules, like they would basically have to promulgate new rules. And I would think that would be enough of a promulgation to need a new NPRM, which means we would go through a whole new NPRM process, but I don't know for sure. But I would guess that um, unless they do some really crazy stuff, it would be difficult for them to shove out all the CBOs, especially the fact that us and Flight Tests are already approved in the same way the AMA is. Uh, I see it as a... Difficult to believe that there's a situation in which they could do that. I mean, it's the government, so I'm sure they could find some way through some statute. But to me, that would take some kind of like new rulemaking process.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cool.
0: All right. And like Tech Jet says, yes, we're at a place where it's almost impossible to understand the laws for most people. Yeah, hundred like percent. You need a PhD in being able to read legal documents just to have an idea of what you need to do to fly, which is ridiculous. For years
1: and years of doing it, I mean, it's like yeah, it's crazy to be to like try to parse it out for like a layman. If you actually wanted to parse out what you're supposed to follow, I think for a lot of people it's very confusing. You know, it
4: is, and I mean that's one of the things we try and do when new rules or regulations roll out. We try and and bring that down to the lay level, but it takes a lot of work. And yeah. um, I mean. Really, it's it goes back to you know the way the rules should be written should be simple for everybody to understand and it's just it it's a it can be a hot mess from time to time so um, totally agree with that. But on that note, uh, I'll go ahead and let's see. Let me just double check on these FPVFC. Let's see, just got done reading them. They're fairly straightforward compared to most of the stuff. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: I... I would also like to sort of say that we have no proof of this, but this is just my own sort of a hunch that, uh, based on us complaining to the FAA in some meetings and Dave relentlessly calling a few people at the FAA, I feel like <laughs> they suddenly like approved our guidelines and the TCA. Like they're like, all right, fine, we're done. We don't want to have to deal with these guys. Their guidelines are close enough let's get them out there i i'm probably just totally making that up but it kind of do agree with that, that a little bit that they're they might have pushed back on us harder but we talked to the right yeah. people we said the right things and they got our guidelines approved i i don't know i was expecting I, I no that push feeling. and is oh yeah okay. i thought dave was frozen there but he's good
3: yeah what's going What's going to be really interesting is that we are aware of five other organizations that are in the CBO application process, and so it will be very uh, informative to see as they get approved, to see and read their uh, individual safety guidelines, to see how much of a, a difference there is from uh, the advisory circular. If it's a uh, you know carbon copy, then um, that me- that will tell us that. Uh, that they had to probably go through multiple iterations and uh, were slowly um, worked uh, by the FAA to get closer and closer to being exactly aligned with the, uh, with the advisory circular to, uh, to amplify Dan's point.
0: Have, uh, has the FTCA published their safety guidelines on their website? I, I haven't had the chance to go look for them yet. Um, uh, if they I have, I'd be think- curious to know how they compare to our guidelines in their final form. I know yeah. I saw some of their previous pre-release versions, but not their final ones.
4: I and think X- they updated them. It looks like, let's
0: see. And uh, XJet's asking, if uh, do changes to the safety guidelines have to be approved by the FAA? It is our assumption that any changes do have to be approved by the FAA. However, we've asked the FAA, how do we go about changing them? And they have not gotten back to us with the process to how to change them. I kind of get the feeling that
3: no fewer than three times
0: that like they assumed that once the guidelines are set, they're they're in stone and they're good forever, but obviously technology changes and the rules and guidelines are going to have to change and we
2: have to figure out how, how they're going to do that. Right. yeah, they've got uh, quite the extensive list. I don't know if this is their final form,
4: but it's uh, it's there,
3: yeah, we'll have to we'll have to good question. We'll need to check with the uh, the FTCA. These are uh, colleagues and friends, and uh, we worked closely uh, with the FTCA through this CVO process. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, you know, we don't know for sure, but we'll find out
0: and yep. we were both just informed late this afternoon about this, right? So... It, it, it has not right. even been, been like a, a a day, not even half a day. Oh. But there's already been free applications submitted. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I hear somebody's working on submitting Joshua Bardwell's yard as a freea.
3: I've heard that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: that's awesome. And I that right.
0: that whole freea process really confuses me because right now anybody can go to the FBA's oh yeah. drone zone website go log into your account and click on the free application and you can apply. And then you just check a box saying I'm with this CBO and Uh, you're authorized to do it and you can go submit it. Like, okay. So then is somebody at the FAA going to go through those and verify or (laughs) it's very confusing. We'll find out. Just seems like it's totally open for abuse to me, but whatever.
3: Yeah, Yeah, definitely definitely is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, We'll follow up with the FAA and ask them about it because it's it's just like you say, man,
4: open to abuse. right right, right for abuse, I mean,
0: what right. there's nothing stopping yeah. all of us from going in there and just requesting billions of bogus or legitimate frias
4: <laughs> Ooh. like let's let's start with legitimate ones. <laughs> Alright, I do want to touch base on a couple different uh, articles here, Uh, some interesting uh, news uh, parts, uh, uh, pieces, so let me uh, link some of these here. Um, So this comes from uh, the Associated Press, Um, Hidden Levels drone tracking system uh, is ready made for new uh, new FAA rules um so they're talking basically they're going through and talking about remote id but the bigger bigger part here is hidden levels aerospace monitoring system technology is uniquely positioned to track monitor and validate drones whether or not they comply with new faa rules um so rem- they basically say uh, remote id lays the foundation for the safety and security groundwork needed for more complex drone operations Uh, The regulations require all drones made or sold in the United States after December 2022 to support remote ID and that all drone pilots, including those who fly for fun, business or public safety, must register and operate their drone in accordance with the final remote ID beginning September 16, 2023. Hidden Levels drone monitoring technology was designed to keep up with the rapid technological advancements to drones such as remote identification. In 2019, the company released a white paper identifying potential gaps in remote remote ID and published technology blogs, identifying additional factors that should be addressed within a comprehensive remote ID. Um, When it comes to integrating uh, the FAA's broadcast remote identification and drone tracking systems, hidden level is way ahead of the game. Our AMS not only receives remote ID signaling in its coverage area, but also verifies it addressing two significant gaps in the remote id system those gaps appear when a drone intentionally or unintentionally fails to broadcast remote id information or if it intentionally or unintentionally broadcasts false remote id information so uh this is basically a a system of, of drone detection uh whether or not you're using remote id um somehow it's it's detecting that yeah hidden Um,
3: level has been um as i said they put out a a good white paper that explained a lot of the technology about a year ago they're uh, mm -hmm. up in uh, syracuse new york near the um, uh, the new york um, uh, uas corridor and Mm -hmm. their target market is um, metro areas and vertiports uh, so that they will would be able to have uh safe um Manned uh, autonomous aircraft flight, as well as uh, awareness of uh, small UAS uh, in the vicinity. And if I am, re- if I remember correctly, uh, a fair amount of gra- ground infrastructure uh, is required. And so this is—it's uh, non-trivial. And I'm pretty sure that uh, the city of Syracuse has uh, signed up for this, which is mm-hmm. cool because they're right next to the corridor which uh, last week announced uh, that they're they're going to have a uh, the, uh, an air taxi between um, Syracuse and Quebec, so and unmanned, so
2: that's cool. So yeah,
4: it, uh, hidden hidden level AMS uh, also checks and validates RID signals by correlating fine angle estimates from its sensors on received remote ID broadcast messages with the drone position information included in the messages. Um, that allows hidden levels uh, AMS to detect any drones failing to broadcast remote ID ba- uh, data or transmitting false information and report it almost instantly. So definitely interesting. Definitely. I mean, they're, they're, they're mm, it's tough for me to say because part of it is, is if we're protecting manned aviation, get it. If this is going to be scaled out full, like full, full city, full anything, uh, that, then that becomes almost drone police. How the
0: heck are they going to know whether it's broadcasting false information or not broadcasting correct information?
4: Because if because you're, let's gonna... say you're, your remote ID is not, uh, is broadcasting a certain position, but the other sensors are not equating that position to that signal.
0: Well, what if my laptop is broadcasting a remote ID signal? And
4: there's no drone in the air. How's it going to know? So I think it's zero, based zero. on location accuracy from the remote i d message versus the remote i d positioning of the signal like the the actual broadcast signal of it, okay yeah, so basically vectoring and how is it
0: going to know this is a two hundred and fifty one gram drone in the sky versus a two hundred and forty nine gram
1: drone flying recreationally i don't I don't think they're gonna I I got the impression that it wasn't necessarily if you're broadcasting or not. It's like, are you broadcasting the correct info? But maybe that's wrong. Like, if if you're broadcasting, then it can triangulate your broadcast, right?
4: So it also, I mean, earlier in the article, it did state whether you're broadcasting it or not. So, I mean, it's a a valid question.
1: Then they'll just be guessing. Yeah, at that point. I mean, it's... None of these, I mean, it's not like any of this is going to be used for anything, right? It'll just be data that's collected. It's not going to be like the law enforcement aren't going to be using this to decide who to go after. Like I, I don't believe the hidden level like hidden a...
3: level wants this to be the key infrastructure for an unmanned traffic management that is also co- cooperating and communicating with uh, air traffic management.
4: right. So I mean, this would this would mitigate you know flights around. Uh you know, manned aircraft, uh, you know, landing and takeoff points, that kind of thing. So, again, you go back to the vertiports and the airports and and that kind of thing. So, Right right
3: now, today, uh, ATC does not want anything to do with UAS. Gosh, I never Mm -hmm. speak in uh, full words anymore. Air traffic control doesn't want anything to do with, effectively, drones or unmanned aerial systems. And so... A company like Hidden Level could be, uh, you know, when when we get to the location of Vertiports where we have unmanned aircraft flying in and out of cities, this would be a great linkage and automation for uh, air traffic control to be able to see unmanned aircraft flying in their airspace.
2: Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, This comes from, I got two links to share with this one. We've got that one. And we've got this one.
4: Uh, So AUVSI, uh, or the Association for Crude Vehicle Systems International has launched a multi-state initiative called Drone Prepared to help US lawmakers ensure that their communities are ready to embrace drones for uses such as infrastructure, inspections, package delivery wireless internet, agricultural surveying, search and rescue, and firefighting, and more. Uh, According to the FAA, there were 869,000 registered drones in the U.S. as of October 2022, with over 300,000 of those flown commercially. By 2025, it is estimated there will be 2.5 million operational uh, drones. Naturally, state, local, and tribal governments will play a key role in growing the drone economy. The Drone Prepared Campaign provides critical resources for communities to understand the complex evolving industry and begin preparing in ways that will welcome the industry and its benefits to their geographies. Um, to educate lawmakers at the state, local and tribal levels about how they can prepare for this increase in drones in a way that brings economic, environmental and workforce benefits A will uh, team up with leaders in the industry, build coalitions with diverse partners, publish research and provide recommendations industry-backed solutions uh, more specifically during the 2023 legislative sessions the uc will support proposals in states nationwide to achieve drone preparedness that promotes drone use for public benefit recognizes the authority of the faa over airspace navigation and safety leverages existing laws that already address concerns like privacy and trespass and pr- promotes technology neutrality so uh definitely interesting um what do it's you also
3: have? who it's also who and one uh or who who and what is uh, happening i i think bunty that this is a, a a program to communicate to municipalities and provide um background papers precedent so that they do not uh, legislate at the lo- local level um okay. Uh, to you know, push roads rules, out of rules and ordinances that yeah that that say you can't you cannot fly uh, in our community. Uh, all of note uh, is uh, DSPA uh, Drone Service uh, Provider Alliance. That's mm-hmm. uh, Kenji Sugahara and Vic Moss. I'm a, an advisory board member to that organization. So this is positive to us in the sense that this is a a sensible group of um, organizations that will uh, provide uh, background to municipalities across the country. Coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, Kenji Sukahara is chairing a um, Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee Tasking Group on providing the a- uh, FAA uh, and industry with a, a guidebook on how to, uh, how if you are going to institute a drawn program, how you would approach a municipality, an organization, a company, et cetera. so this would be this is this will be a beautiful uh, drop in fit uh, for the work that we're doing uh, in uh, tasking group fifteen.
4: yeah, so I mean, educating like policymakers and lawmakers, that's something that that we've been a, a big uh, proponent of um you know, in the past, because the more they know, the better equipped they're gonna be to make reasonable legislation. Um, Something that that Alex kind of took on at uh, the last, uh, or not the last, but at a recent DAC meeting where he got several different uh, people, uh, including Houston Mills, behind the goggles um, to to fly. And I mean, that was a, a big step forward to helping them understand what they're actually talking about and, and having uh, rulemaking conversations and, and committees and, and so on and so forth. Um, it helps them understand what they're actually legislating for. So uh, I think this is a, a positive step forward. Um, I'm hoping to see, you know, similar rules to like what we have uh, in Arizona and I think Michigan where the state has uh, the autonomy and has kind of locked out local communities from promulgating rules uh, uh, that are overreaching and and locking uh, drones out of the sky, whether it's for recreational or for commercial purposes, right? So,
3: but. Right, And, and the objective of some of the legislation that DSPA has been pushing is, we want the state legislature to legislate that you can fly a drone unless you the locality put in a restriction for takeoff and landing not a blanket you can't fly in our state Mm
5: -hmm.
1: (laughs) right so um all right that was similar uh, wasn't there like a park something similar happened uh, yes yes there is Uh, where the parks were talking the... about, uh, like where they can't like decide as a blanket that the parks can do that. It was like each individual parks director or something has to choose that. Isn't that
3: correct? That's correct. Or state of Oregon.
1: Okay, gotcha.
4: Yeah, and like uh, I know one of the other thing is like uh, in Arizona, the state has actually mandated that every city have at least one park, uh, that allows RC flight, which is awesome um so um they are they literally legislated requiring places to be able to fly which is really cool so um which in a place like phoenix where it's you know a a mishmash of 15 different uh cities and towns all you know pressed together um it gives you a lot of options so um especially if you want to do like park flyers and stuff like that um so this is actually out of uh arizona as well this is kind of cool uh rotor aircraft unveils the dragon ultralight EVTOL uh personal air vehicle kit that's now ready for order so if you want to build your own personal flying uh rotorcraft uh or quadcopter that can actually carry you you can order a kit just like you could order uh, a kit airplane or anything else and this is actually a, a company that's uh based out of here in arizona in chandler chandler arizona which is again one of the suburbs of phoenix so advanced Tactics, Ad- advanced tactics incorporated a small defense aircraft contractor in southern california has teamed up with the rotor x aircraft manufacturing company in arizona and surprised the world by discreet by secretly developing and demonstrating the first aircraft factory built ultralight personal air vehicle called the dragon um, advanced tactics is a pioneer in multi-rotor vertical takeoff and landing aircraft technology and by 2014 they had developed and demonstrated the world's first vtol air ground mobile vehicle called the black knight transformer for the u.s army um beginning in december of 2021 Advanced Tactics started working on a low-cost, high-performance multi-rotor VTOL unmanned cargo and rescue vehicle with funding from the US Air Force AF- AFWorks program. The goal of this project was to develop and fly a tech- technology evaluation aircraft that could be used that could use fuel-burning or electric motors. Um Advanced Tactics realized that this technology had vast commercial potential as an ultralight personal air vehicle because of its low cost, simplicity, and high reliability. It would do well in carrying people that just wanted to hover and fly above the ground and have fun without helicopter training as an FAA Part 103 ultralight aircraft. Advanced Tactics decided that partnering with Rotorx Aircraft Manufacturing Company in Arizona to produce the Dragon Ultralight in a kit would have real appeal to the public. Um they uh, let's see um, the dragon is light enough to meet fa qualifications for an ultralight aircraft empty weight of under 254 pounds but it can carry a pilot that is over six foot six weighing up to 250 pounds and can fly for up to 20 minutes depending on the weight of the pilot and atmospheric density um, they're also going to be offering training uh, which is pretty cool and uh, let's see only eighty five thousand dollars. There you go. <laughs> uh, you Only eighty five thousand.
1: The Jetson one has been out for a while too, right? You can buy that for I think ninety five thousand, and you assemble mm-hmm. that. It's pretty similar.
4: Yeah. Um, let's see the regular. Let's see. So the introductory price is eighty five thousand for the first hundred kits, and then it would be uh, ninety nine thousand after the first one hundred. Um, and it takes, let's see, it also says it only there's a thing that says how long it takes to build. Um, uh, few hours, let's see, expected to only take a week or two weekends to assemble and require only a few hours of training. That includes following an FAA Part 103 flight regulations for ultralight aircraft. So mm-hmm. there you go, Lights, weekends light
3: sport aircraft. It's 103. I was wondering if it, if it complied with 103. So that's so that
1: means.
3: Yeah. No need for a certificate. You just build it and fly it. <laughs>
1: it's also way faster, I think, than they quote for the Jetson 1. I think the Jetson 1 is like like six weeks or something. Wow.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Good project,
1: though.
5: Really?
4: Let's see. we got a... Video never works, but... Let's see. If you want to watch the video... Looks like it's... Ooh. Turn that down
2: that reach over 60 miles per hour, 60
4: miles an hour, there you
2: go, weight limit this fully electric manned drone will be one of the best experiences you've ever seen, a had. manned
3: a drone,
0: <laughs> that's, that's an oxymoron, <laughs> exactly, <laughs>
3: exactly, uh,
4: that's funny,
3: it's priceless,
4: all right, um, let's see, we'll hit this real quick. Uh, so, uh, Carl Zhao has released the HD zero goggle source code on GitHub. There's a link here. Um, this is to the, his Facebook post.
3: Yeah, all of us HD zero fanboys are excited. This is good stuff.
4: Um, so, uh, having this uh, open source, uh, uh, software allows uh, for community bug reporting and bug fix pull requests manufacturers to make customizations for new goggles, um, customizing button functions and UI improvement. And uh, he's, he's literally reaching out to the community to, to add function and form to to the HD zero platform, basically. And I think this is uh, definitely one of the big things. I mean. Getting he, I mean, opening this up is is fantastic. It allows for people to use the the code and the ASIC that he's created to further the HD zero kind of uh, ecosystem, which is awesome. So uh, I know uh, Dave is is a severe fanboy here, and uh, um... it's also
3: very. They've done something very clever from a marketing perspective. They're running their beta on the goggles right now and the beta program is completely out in the open. And having run many uh, alpha, beta early support programs uh, for IBM, that was like a federal secret. I'm, you know, no one knew confidentiality agreements, uh, cloaked uh, equipment going to customers. No one ever knew that this was going on. And I think it is really refreshing and a great idea to keep it out in the open and uh, so everyone sees any uh, issues and problems, and then they resolve them. And so okay. this is a, a really clever way to run uh, a goggle, uh, you know, centering around the goggle, centering around the ASICs that Carl Zhao has uh, developed.
2: Pretty cool.
4: Yeah. All right. Uh, I saw this while I was uh, scouring uh doing my normal scour for articles uh i don't know how long this has been on here but flow state is on rotten tomatoes um and it has zero reviews so if you've seen it go review it we have no affiliation with this i know i'm in it and i think alex might be in it uh or at least a passing (laughs) but uh um if you've seen it give it a review uh and, yeah, uh, we helped.
3: We helped uh, write some of the write up on chapter nine.
4: Yep. Yeah, so I think it was uh, around remote ID. We make zero money off of this. It would no monetary, but you know, let's get FPV uh, a good score on there. Cool. So it's pretty cool. All right, where are we at with time? Oh, we still have time. Um, let's see. This, I wanted to touch on. Dave sent me this over. Uh, I'm not gonna play the video because video plays poorly, but this is a video from uh, our friend uh, GeeksVana. And he's discussing uh, some of the new rules in the UK in regards to visual line of sight. And uh, they basically, I mean, the CAA is more, narrowly defining visual line of sight essentially and if you don't think the faa and the caa and all these different organizations around the world talk to each other you'd be mistaken and so uh, the thought is is that there may be a similar uh kind of promulgation of of this concept uh push around the world um so they're narrowly defining it and in some regards there's some different kind of openness to what the uk is doing Um, but in others it's a it's a little more interesting so unaided for them uh means uh, without the use of any other equipment this is something that the faa already does Um, so you can't use binoculars telescopes or cameras or anything to to keep visual line of sight it has to be with the unaided eye does not include if you wear glasses or contacts or anything like that that is still considered unaided. Um, and uh, in order to control the visual flight path of the unmanned aircraft, it must be kept within a suitable distance of the remote pilot, such that they can monitor the aircraft's position, orientation, and the surrounding airspace at all times. And where this right. comes, be, be go ahead, Dave. And flight path. So right
3: say for anyone who flies RC. Uh, model airplanes they they would get that instantly oh so <laughs> it can't be a spec it had i have to be able to orient it and know where it's going and where which way i'm headed is it coming toward me or heading heading away and now you know how do you enforce that that's a whole another uh, ball of wax but i do think yeah. as josh said that this is a rather important document from the perspective of this really seems like something the faa will adopt and flight so,
0: path means nothing to me as an FPV drone pilot. Like uh, I, I think of that as like, well, a planned out location or flying in circles or something. That's my flight path. But if you're flying FPV and you do a 180 and punch it, like what is your flight path?
3: Right. You're, I mean, well, your 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 VO needs to be able to discern orientation of the aircraft. So and, the way uh, it's, the- and it's and it's vect- it's flight, it's vector but right.
4: you can change your way...
0: vector in an instant
3: without a
4: doubt 100% and i think it it depending on how this words you're right Dan it can be very ambiguous um but the way that they're defining some of this is, and the way that they're they're kind of judging this is it does it depends and yeah. um so you know, Dave, uh, with his old guy eyes, um, his eyesight and his visual line of sight may be shorter than somebody like Alex. Um, so I'm gonna and...
3: fly a great big UAS, <laughs> and then, which is legit.
4: If you fly so x class. Huge...
3: Yeah, if you fly X-Class, I can fly it at least 100 feet away and still see it. Just
4: what we want. (laughs) The older you get, the bigger, more dangerous drones you have to fly. All right, all right, 100%. (laughs) So they're considering the eyesight of the remote pilot, the size of the unmanned aircraft, the visual conspicuity of the unmanned aircraft. So that would be what color it is, the size of it, uh, the contrast versus the sky or whatever your backdrop is. Um, any navigation lighting the weather conditions terrain and other obstacles that may obscure the interesting part that uh, the uk kind of distinguishes is that they allow for a break in visual line of sight for uh, uh if the drone is doing like follow me so if the drone is behind you and it's in follow me mode essentially where it's just tracking you they allow for a break in that, which is interesting. Up to, I think he was saying in the video, up to 50 meters. So that's quite a distance. So, what so, is this? Regulations that's...
0: actually trying to keep up with technology as they change? Uh, well, Only a little, little know,
4: bit behind? Smaller country, you know. <laughs> that's
3: right, 40, 40 million people. That's <laughs> the size of California.
2: Is this, is this related to the UK's? equivalent part 107 commercial operations or is this fpv uk so this is i believe let's see let me dial this back because a lot of that stuff that you mentioned maybe not the 50 meter whatever you mentioned last but all the other stuff you mentioned is already in part 107 it's not written like that but i've talked to to the fa about a lot of their interpretations and what they really mean behind it. And, and what you what you read earlier was exactly what they told me in terms of you have to understand the flight path, you have to know, and all the other stuff you said before the 50-meter thing or 50-foot thing. So yeah, the that's dive the difference between interpretation versus not test- written rules. Right. right. They're, not in, they're not
3: testing against uh, this type of if that's their intention as they would say in Texas, they may be fixing to uh, you know, update 107 uh, with some of that, but it's not there today. Yeah. Not, not from told, the letter of the law.
2: They told me that if that is their interpretation, so if you go against that, you'll get in trouble.
1: Yeah, but well, you have that, to think about what's it law, it's, it's That's exactly. the, the difference. It's,
2: it's the they have written.
1: to get you with a violation, and that violation is going to be a fine or something of a certain uh, part of the law. So they're going to quote <laughs> a certain section. And they have to do that. And then they have to back it up if you wanted to fight it. So it depends on who's actually going to enforce that and what they decide to do. I, I really doubt right. you're going to see an enforcement based on that because of the uh, unenforceability later down the line. Basically, Like the line right. of sight
2: stuff that you were talking about, Kojo, about like, you know, you have to be able to interpret what it's doing and what what it's going to be doing. Basically, a flight path means it's just, what is it going to be doing in the future? You have to understand right. before, yeah, and if you're flying, I mean, I've flown very, very far lines of sight and you know, um, you know, pushing the bounds of the regulations. Right. And, and so, uh, but when I, when I, when I, when I questioned them hard on it, it was, uh, it, it's not, you're right. It's not written, but there, uh, there's th- the court there, there are court cases and there are things that like kind of dict. I think, I think that like, have already defined a little bit of that. So they're kind of going, I think they're interpreting it as like, their baseline even though it's not written right now like right that. And, yeah, that, and that that may be
4: the the where they're headed but currently right now as the law stands is very vague it, it yeah. doesn't require yeah. anything beyond just keeping it in visual line of sight right and, just, and then just,
3: further the only reference that is ever made in any of these documents is the IPP3 which is uh, the uh, FAA funded research on this stuff and they state that the visual line of sight is approximately between um, is approximately two point three miles, and yeah, you know, anyone who's flown RC, you know, two point three miles, you know, we get hysterical and laughter. That's just so bizarre, and it's so far away. There's no way you can see, you know, any of these aircraft at two point three miles away.
2: Yep. Yeah. You'll be lucky at half a mile with young guys like Alex. So Exactly.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, I'd, need it. I'd just, need
3: it to be really big and really bright.
4: We'll just get you some shiny LEDs, man. That's
3: right. Lots of lights.
0: <laughs> just fly a big drone at yeah. night with a few lights on it.
3: There you go. There you it's go.
0: Just, it's just funny that the more dangerous it is, the more legal it is.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's
0: funny.
4: All right, uh, I think I've I've taken up a Hey, There's uh, there's
3: one big there's one big change news flash. Yeah. Within the last 2 weeks, the FAA has changed the part 107, part 107.9 previously read if an accident occurs and with your with your small UAS and it you cause more than $500 worth of property damage, you must report that to the FAA. The Part 107.9 has now been changed and it has struck the word accident and replaced it with safety incident. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, what is that? So, so, what if I'm a $500 prop? That's it. because I, well, no, it's not, it has nothing to do with the aircraft, it's uh, property damage. And then, so, so because I'm a paranoid personality, I'm thinking, hmm. Safety incident feels like there's intent as opposed to accident. Oh, you know, then you could always claim it was an act of God. I have no idea. It was weather. It was, you know, I was I'm sorry, as opposed to you violated a safety rule. So not sure if that's where they're headed, but that absolutely they did make a change. And it's really unusual for the FAA to make a change to 107. It took 10 years to write 107 and get it through the rule process.
2: You know, there's the definition of incident versus accident, you know, that I think the FA actually does define the difference between the two. And I think doesn't yes. it doesn't it have to do with like a bodily injury. And if you have to, it depends on the type of injury you get, if you have to go to the hospital for it. And there, is, there, are, that definitions, is, there are definitions for that it. Is,
3: that is correct, yeah. In 107, it's, uh, yeah, if it, it is defined as, uh, overnight hospitalization uh,
2: uh or uh yeah or or fatality
0: yeah yeah overnight hospitalization in the u.s that's going to be way more than 500 dollars.
2: <laughs> it makes sense yep. why they changed it right because like an in- an incident keeps it broader and probably makes more sense than just an accident because an accident means like you really hurt someone now five hundred dollars like we've I've heard of a story where someone's run into a hotel window and that's cost more than $500. Could you argue that that
0: that's not an accident you intentionally tried to hit the window? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: But
3: it is is a safety incident. So the the Uh, question is now moot.
0: Now you have to
2: report it. That's right.
3: Now you have to report it. And of course, you also had to report it because in parallel to the FAA regulation, there's an NTSP rule.
2: So Mm -hmm. then that. Yep.
3: that's a report report immediately you don't have a 10-day uh, threshold
2: mm-hmm.
3: for buffer
2: <laughs>
4: excellent all right josh
3: I, I knew i knew you'd be <laughs> thrilled with that change
4: super <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, i'm here to oh. i know totally all right uh dave okay. anything going on in the tasking groups to to wrap this up uh, yeah i'm
3: just they're going well uh, Alex and I are uh, involved in them and um, uh, met again today on uh, TG 14 and that's the, uh, so uh, we're hopeful to uh, have an EV loss or a an extended virtual line of sight uh, or a shielded operations uh, segment uh, added in. So we're, we have a, a number of us lobbying for that right now. So that's, that's a positive. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, I am really enthused with the testing group 15, led by Kenji Sugihara and Mike Leo. Um, uh, They're doing a great job. And so is James uh, Burgess Ryan of Wing. uh, And that's the write write a handbook on how to uh, create a a drone deployment, uh, regardless of who or what you are. And um, so that, that should be a useful piece of work Uh, that's provided to the FAA that the FAA can use and so can industry. So I'm reasonably positive with both efforts. Nice. And we've not heard anything about the counter UAS uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee. If anyone else has heard anything that's happening, we uh, we heard early November that this arc was going up uh, through the Department of Transportation for approval. uh, And uh, it was supposed to have been approved and by mid November 2022. So uh, a little late, but uh, that's never a surprise. So if anyone has heard anything about that one, let us know. We would like to volunteer participation in that uh, arc as well. And that is the Counter UAS Aviation Rulemaking Committee.
4: All right. Blunty, you got anything, sir?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so.
4: All right. Alex? Nope.
1: Uh...
3: Well, the multi-GP calendar is out.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, so all the events for next season are out and announced. So
3: mark your calendars and start booking hotels, because I hear they're going fast, especially for I.O. Fly, and fly <laughs> fast. <Yep. laughs> but no, Unless, you know, they, they open up a, uh, an over 60 class. You know.
4: Well, they have the over 50 and the over 40.
3: But those young guys, you know, they're
4: sort of young, young fans. Dan, you got anything for us? Um,
0: Just really quickly, I wanted to mention that the FAA sent out an email with a survey, a link to a survey Mm, for recreational operators. Um, I got mine. Gosh, I forget what it was, Saturday at like 4 a.m. or something. And I reached out to the FAA and they said it was supposed to go out to everybody who's registered on the drone zone. As a recreational operator and i know a few people like blunty here who said he did not get the message uh alex I didn't like get you're shaking it too you didn't get it so i want to encourage everybody to double check to see if you have that the survey is asking questions like how many drones do you have how often do you fly how high do you fly how many flights uh, and of course they define a flight like as a as a takeoff and landing so if you're one of those people who likes to go perch around or skid across the ground it's like well that flight but that battery had 15 flights in it. So, I mean, I put that down. Um, I, I think we need more people to fill out the survey to, to let the FAA know what kind of flying we do. Um, but the link I got was very specific. It was unique to me, so I can't share it to other people because you'll follow the link and it'll just say you've already taken it. But uh, uh, the FAA did say it sounded like they wanted it to go out to the entire recreational community and hopefully they'll get back to us with... Um, Links we can share or ways to get people to fill out that survey.
3: Yep, and yeah, I, I did receive one and filled it out.
0: And uh, Mike Bergman in YouTube and was, is asking if it's anonymous. Um, yes, I think they say it's uh, supposed to be anonymous, but it's like trust that as far it's, as you it's can done tell. through SurveyMonkey, and it's probably as anonymous as whatever SurveyMonkey does to make a unique survey anonymous.
3: Yeah, this went back into the FAA. This is, it did not go, I looked and it did not go and there was no comment about this going into NASA uh, who has uh, ASR, uh, Aviation Safety Reporting System, uh, which is carefully anonymized. And so they said it was anonymous, but it's the FAA.
0: And 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 for anybody curious, it was unique. Curious about what the it's questions the are? Um, I recorded myself taking, filling out the survey, so you can watch the video on my channel. It's really boring. It's very. It's a ten-minute video with no audio of me filling out a survey. But if that's kind of your thing, <laughs> feel free there to watch go. it. You
4: know, one might say there's there's some trust issues. Uh, you know, <laughs> we all trust the you FAA, right? The, the recreational
3: <laughs> UAS safety test.
4: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, (laughs) all right, uh, first and foremost, thank you to everybody who showed up tonight. We do appreciate it. It was definitely a big night for us. A big day. Um, Finally, after three years getting approved for CBO. um, That's awesome. Um, Definite congratulations over to the FTCA. Uh, They worked hard as well on theirs, and this has been an ongoing process for them. Uh, we appreciate everybody joining us tonight. Um, please, please, please feel free to come back in two weeks. Um, we do this every two weeks and uh, we do this uh, um, for you guys to to get feedback from you guys, to answer questions for you guys and to uh, have that community re- outreach for you guys. and uh, um, yeah, that's that's all I got.
2: I think with that, we'll wish you all a great night and uh, we'll talk to you in two weeks.